little uh, device. Yeah, everything's on. Okay, perfect. Okay, so let me just mute everybody and say welcome to everybody. Um, and Chaya Tova Bas Eliezer Mendel HaKohen on the book of Yechezkel. We're in chapter 7, still in the dark, the darkness of the first uh, 10 or 12 chapters of Yechezkel. And we're up to verse 10. And um, we started to discuss uh, verse 10 last week. I'll just read it over to you. Hinei Hayom, Hinei Bar. The day is coming. It's the, the day of destruction is coming. Hatsfira, Yotza Hatsfira. The dawn has gone. Uh, the intermediary point between God's patience and God, so to speak, venting his anger. That's disappeared. And Sots Hamata Pora Hazodon, which is a very strange ex- expression, which literally translates as the staff has blossomed. And the willful w- wickedness, the uh, premeditated wickedness has budded. And uh, exactly what that last phrase means is where we got up to last time. So exactly what does a Nobi mean? What does God mean? Sots, Hamata, Porach, Hazodon, the staff has blossomed, the wickedness has flowered. So um, the expression Sots, Hamata, the staff or the stick has blossomed, uh, should remind everyone of an event that occurred in the Torah. Uh, and this is the intention here uh, of this posset, to remind yourself of an event that took place in the Torah. And it's the story of Korach. Um, the essence of the story of Korach is really about, um, well, it's about nepotism and it's about who has the right to lead and who appoints the leaders. And Korach's rebellion was really about um, the idea that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, from the tribe of Levi was the leader, okay. And then he appointed his uh, brother, or it seemed that he appointed his brother as uh, the Kohen Godel, which seems a bit, bit like cronyism and nepotism. And uh, this was one of his complaints. And uh, the way the dispute was settled, which is distru- discussed actually... Uh, not in uh, Bamidbar, but it's discussed in Devorim. Um, God decided to settle the dispute by telling Moshe to take a staff from each of the leaders of each of the tribes and let them write their names on their particular staff, that particular stick, and put them all in the Ark, in the Mishkan, and or the Oron, and leave them overnight. And God said, same expression as here, Yifrach. The staff of my chosen man, God said, uh, who shall be the Kohen Godel, that stick will blossom. So everybody said, okay. So they all got their sticks out. They all wrote the names on the top, the names and the names of their tribes. And then the next morning, uh, the Torah reports. This is in chapter 3 of Devorim, chapter 23, verse 23. Moshe came to the tent of Adus, which is evidence, testimony. The Aaron staff had uh, flowered, blossomed. Uh, Levi, to indicate that he, from the house of Levi, should be um, the Kohen Godel. It gave forth a blossom and it sprouted buds and produced ripe almonds. That's the story. So we have a, 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 an idea of, of this uh, staff budding uh, in the story in the Torah. It, it was an indication of uh, leadership. Um, and Rashi's, Rashi over there asked the question, Okay, so Aaron's staff sprouted uh, something, but why almonds? Why specifically almonds? Why shkadin? By yigmol shkadin, the Torah says. So Rashi answers that almonds blossom quicker than any other fruits. Um, I check this out. Um, almonds blossom between mid-February and mid-March. Um, and so the subliminal message here is just like almonds very quick, uh, blossom very quickly, 
Likewise, anyone who uh, uh, opposes the kahuna, the priesthood of Aaron, his punishment will come quickly too. Now, in that story uh, in the Torah, the idea of a staff blossoming is used to describe a very positive event, a miraculous blossoming to end this dispute between Jews, um, as God himself describes the outcome. Uh, he says, that this miracle that I presented uh, is designed to calm down, to turn away um, the complaints of the children of Israel, the objections, the rebellion. Uh, and that miracle, uh, the, the blossoming of the Shkedim, of these almonds, signaled the end of the dispute over who should be the Kohen Godot. And that was the story in the Torah. So we have that that story uh, using the very similar language to to the language we have here uh, as an indication of solving a problem, uh, happy ending, so to speak. Uh, by contrast, if we look at the book of Yirmiyahu in the first chapter, um, chapter chapter one verses eleven and twelve, which is the, the Haftorah of Matos, um, which is the first Haftorah of the three weeks. We see something else. We see something a little bit darker. By he devar Hashem Eli, he says, Yirmiyahu, the prophet Jeremiah, talking. By he devar Hashem Eli, God speaking to me and said, Ma Torah Yirmiyahu. What is it that you can see? Have a look around, see what you can see. And I said to God, Makel Shoket. I see a Makel Shoket. I see an almond tree. Um, and God said to me, God said to me, you have seen well, for I'm going to accelerate my word to accomplish my task. In other words, the destruction of the first base of Migdosh. So the word there, shkedim, or shokeid, or shokeid, uh, is used to describe an almond tree, and it's also used as an expression of acceleration. That God's going to speed up the destruction of the base of Migdosh. And uh, the, the Gemara, actually, Yerushalmi, actually, Yerushalmi in Tainis, uh comments on these verses from Yirmiyot. We'll get to the point in a minute, what's going on in our possum. But the Yerushalmi, the Gemara Yerushalmi in Tainis, uh, in the fourth parrot, comments on these verses. Gemara says, Omar Rabbavuna. <coughs> Rabbavuna says, Simona Makel Shaked uh, Aniroa. There's a hint, an indication, an illusion uh, to God speeding up the destruction of the base of Migdosh in, in the posset that we just said. Makel Shaked Aniroa. That's Yirmios. God said to him, What do you see? He said, I see an almond tree. I see a staff of an almond tree. Um, says the Gemara, Ma haluz hazeh, ma shu motzi es nitso, ba'ad shu goma es peros of esrim ba'echod yom. Since the almond tree, from sprouting from its flower to the completion of its fruit, takes 21 days, which is three weeks. Kach miyom shev koha ir. So from the day that the city was breached, which was the 17th of Tammuz, until the day that the temple was destroyed, uh, will also be 21 days, which is three weeks, which is something we know about very well. It's the three weeks we, we memorialize between Shiva Sabatamas and Tishabav. And so this idea of shakade, acceleration, is used in a negative connotation. Here, when Yechezkel reports, Sots Amata Porachazodon, the staff, the stick, has blossomed, the willful wickedness of the enemy has flowered. That's what he's referring to here. He's referring to the staff that Yirmiyol was shown uh, in the first chapter of his book, that God needed or wanted, or we'll see, he, he, it was part of the plan, but God speeded up the destruction of the first base of Migdosh like the speed of the blossoming of the almond tree. And um, uh, as God said in verse 12 uh, in Yirmiyahu, 
I accelerate my words to accomplish what I what, what I intend, which is the, the destruction of Yehuda, uh, Yerushalayim, and the Beit Hamikdash. Um, <clears throat> and this this analysis is entirely consistent with the first part of the verse that we explained earlier. The the verse started Hine Hayo. This is the day Hine Ba. It's come. The day of destruction will be suddenly upon you. And the Yotzah uh, Hatzvira, God, so to speak, has got rid of the dawn. There's going to be no gap. Once the decision is made, it's going to happen. There's been an acceleration here. Uh, and it's also consistent with something we discussed in verse 3 in this chapter, when we mentioned a posse from Devorim, uh, the posse in chapter 4 of Devorim, um, which said, Kisoli Bonim, which is talking about the entrance of the Jewish people into the land of Israel and talking about the future. Kisoli Bonim of Bnei Bonim, when you arrive in the land and you have children and grandchildren, the Noshantem Ba'oretz, and you will be long established in the land. The Ishchatem Ba'asisem Pesel Tumunas Kol Ba'asisem Horab Ene Hashem Lokecho and during that period, that long period that you're in the land, uh, you'll become corrupt and you'll make idols and do evil in the eyes of God to promote, provoke him to anger. When we mentioned the Gemara, the Gemara in Sanhedrin on Daflam Ches, that the numerical value of the word, but no shanta, you will, you'll be well established in the land is 852. And the Jewish people were exiled two years early in the 850th year, which is the year 423 BCE, uh, after entering the land of Israel. They entered the land of Israel in 1273 BCE. And since they were exiled two years early, which is the idea of this verse, this is what Yechezkel is telling you. He's telling you, I've seen, I've seen that, that sort of stick of Yeremio that indicated that God was going to speed up the destruction of Yushalayim. And uh, the exile actually took place two years earlier than uh, the Torah indicated. The Torah indicated 852 years, but uh, the, the destruction came two years early, uh, 850 years after they entered the land. And that was to uh, make sure that the next verse in Devorim would not be fulfilled. Because the next verse in Devorim says, Lo sarichon yomim oleho ki hisham made tashmidun. Because when you are exiled for paganism, you'll be utterly destroyed. So God, so to speak, um, if you can talk about God in that fashion, decided that he wasn't going to destroy the Jewish people. And the only way he could do that was to bring upon, bring upon them that destruction two years earlier. So the next possible, if they had carried on for another two years, so the next possible indicated that they've been totally destroyed. So God, so to speak, gave them a bit of chesed, uh, bringing forward the exile by two, by two years was an act of charity uh, that revoked the warning and the curse of ki hishomed tishameidun, that they'll be totally annihilated. And of course, the Jewish people are still here. Um, and uh, so we have this crossover um, between Yirmiyahu and Yecheskel. Now, what's very interesting is Yirmiyahu and Yecheskel lived at the same time. But we have no indications of, uh, certainly not in the Tanakh, we have no indications of them ever having, you know, going out for coffee or having uh, any type of social interaction. Um, and to add a third individual to the the mix, you've got Daniel. Daniel also lived during this time, time frame. And he also makes note of this, uh, this idea that uh, the, the, uh, destruction of the base of English came early, which is what Yechezkel is referring to here, that it was accelerated, uh, using the word, uh, the same word that, uh, that Yirmiyahu did, same word that was used in the Torah for a, an acceleration. So in chapter 9 of, of Daniel, Daniel says, By Yishkod Hashem al God hastened, accelerated. Again, that language of uh, Shin Kuf Dalet, which we understand to be a... a a uh, almond tree, but the essence of the almond tree is the speed with which it develops. 
So that's why why we use the word and why Daniel uses the word by Yishkod Hashem al God hastened the evil uh, and the exile brought upon us early by Yiveh Aleinu, and He brought it upon us early. Kitzadik Hashem because God is very righteous and charitable. Al Kol with whatever He does. Even though we didn't pay attention to what he had to say, nevertheless, God gave us an act of charity. And this is the message here. It's, it's, um, it's not a great message, but it's, uh, an act of charity. So when Yechezkel says, Sot Hamata Porach the stick has blossomed. The stick he's referring to is the stick that Yirmiyahu saw that indicated that destruction would come earlier. And of course, as I just mentioned, um, Daniel mentions it as well. And um, Daniel also uses the language of a Yishkod, that God accelerated the destruction, uh, an exile like a blossoming almond tree as an act of chesed. Um, and Daniel is also hinting at the almond tree as well by using that language, because that's the language you use, me. Makel Shekade. I see a staff of an almond tree. Um, and um, this, what we see here is uh, another character uh, connected to this time frame. Again, Daniel. Uh, Daniel, Yechezkel, Yirmi all lived during the same time, time frame, but we have no record of them ever having any contact with each other. Uh, we have to re- rely on Midrashim and uh, Kabbalistic sources to uh, understand the connection between the three of them, which we'll do later on in the book. Um, and this is intrinsically connected to the words of our verse here in Yechezkel. The same staff and stick described by both Yirmiyahu and Doniel has now blossomed quickly. And the willful wickedness, which is talking about the Babylonian art enemy, has flowered suddenly, which is exactly what happened. The Babylonians sprung out of obscurity by rebelling against the Assyrians. And essentially, within a few years, they'd completely conquered uh, the Middle East. Um, so what we see in this verse is that on the one hand, we've got a negative declaration from God right at the start of verse uh, 10. The day has come. Yeah, this is the end. Uh, the dawn has passed. The period uh, of God's waiting, so to speak. Waiting for the, the daylight. That's gone. So that's, uh, that's hard to take. Um, and the destruction is coming now with no more delays. On the other hand, uh, that accelerated destruction and exile is also a positive sign of God's chesed, uh, God's charity to ensure that the curse of Devorim, he shall made to shall made to shall that you'll be completely annihilated will never occur. And of course, we say it in davening every morning. Um, we bless God for that in Volitzion. Um, that the words of the Torah will be on our lips, our children's lips and our grandchildren's lips forever. We'll never, the Jewish people will never be destroyed, indestructible people. So that's the, uh, the general message of the end of this verse. Uh, and again, I just want to stress uh, as a footnote, the three contemporaries of the period spanning the destruction of the first base of Migdush and the exile and the eventual, eventual return to Zion 70 years later. And all three of them have got a consistent message. And the consistent message is, is the dark side of destruction, um, but also the idea that God, so to speak, is charitable. And uh, um, he took it out on the Jewish people. There's no question about that. They suffered terribly, but it could have been a lot worse. Uh, sometimes that doesn't sound so good to somebody that's uh, in the middle of suffering. You, know, you speak to a Holocaust survivor, you don't. The, the first thing that comes to your mind is is not to say to him, you know, it could have been a lot worse. So, um, so for the people of the base of Migdosh, so you, you can't say it could have been a lot worse, but it could have been a lot worse. And again, just to mention the interaction between these three, between Yirmiyahu. Uh, 
who carried the Masorah, by the way. Yirmiyahu carried the Masorah. Yechezkel did not. Um, for those that know that, that means I'm not going to delve into it. The, um, what we see from Pirkei Ovis is that uh, the Masorah, the tradition of the Jewish people, the oral tradition of the Jewish people was passed down through the generations to particular, indiv- through particular individuals. Um, on that list is someone who would, in my Tanakhshi on Sunday and Monday, on Sunday and Tuesday, we're discussing at the moment, Stefania, who is the Rabbi Yirmiyo Jeremiah. And, uh, he was, uh, someone who was the receptacle receiver of the Masora. And he passed it on to, um, Yirmiyahu. Um, but Yechezkel is not in the chain. Yechezkel is not in the chain of the Masora. And we'll, we'll see why that is later on in the, uh, in the book, much later on in the book. But what's interesting is we never see, we never see the three of them, Yechezkel, Yirmiyahu and Doniel, quoting each other or saying, saying something directly. We see Doniel, so to speak, um, uh, beating about the bush and sort of uh, intimating that he knew what Yirmiyahu said and uh, he was commenting on it. And we see here Yechezkel doing the same thing as well. But we don't see any direct contact in the Tanakh in any of the books, in the book of Doniel, in the book of Yechezkel, and in the book of Yirmiyahu, that they actually um, had direct contact with each other. So that is that concludes uh, the language of verse 10. Now we come on to verse 11. Uh, and Yechezkel continues uh, Musa, uh, rebuke and warnings about the future. And um, there are various ways to read this verse because there's a, a strange word in it um, that we'll have to deal with. But I'll just read it to you. Verse 11. Hechomos kom lamate resha. The violence and theft has arisen into a rod of wickedness. Lomehem. None will remain. Velomehamono. Neither from the large population. Or mehamonon could mean from their assets. Uh, Hamon means uh, multitude, but it also means it's also an expression of finance. So again, hechomos kom lamate resha. Their violence, their theft has arisen into a rod of wickedness. Uh, they've created the, a rod for their own back by their theft, their violence. Lo mehem, none of them will remain. Lo mehemonon, neither of the, neither, um, from them or their multitude, their population, or their or their cash or their assets, below mehamehem, nor from their children, which could also mean from their wealth, the no low noah bohem, and none among them longs for me. That's the way I think that's the way it's translated in art scroll. No, I didn't check, but uh, I think that's the way it's translated. The uh, low noah bohem, none of them longs for me, God speaking. None of them long for God. And uh, this is a very strange verse and there are various ways of understanding it. Um, yeah, we'll start with the Abarbanel because the Abarbanel has got uh, not optimistic, but more optimistic than the other verses. Um, and he said this verse is all about the end of the Babylonian Empire. It's nothing to do with the Jews. Uh, he says, Lomehem uh, when the, when the Posik says there'll be no one left of them, al ha'oivim resha. The idea that there'll be no one, um, um, left refers to the Babylonians because they are lamate resha. They are the rod of evil. They are the rod of evil that will afflict and persecute and uh, cause all the destruction of Yerushalayim. Behachomos. And when the Posik's talking about chomos, chomos means theft, um, a particular type of theft. Uh, it's used in two contexts. It's used in the context we'll see later. Uh, it's used in the context of a particular type of theft, but it's also used in the context of, it's translated as violence. Um, but it doesn't mean literally just, uh, uh, you know, violence that you see on a Saturday night in a, a uh, alcohol and a drug induced, uh, riot in a street. It's a particular type of violence, violence, uh, violent robbery with violence, where a person extorts, the person wants your car 
and uh, he's prepared to pay you $10,000 for it. But you don't want to sell. So he takes a gun, he sticks it in your mouth, and he says, here's the 10000 Sign the uh, sale, sale document. That's homos. That's uh, violent extortion. But it, it's also used to uh, describe a particular type, halachically, it's used to describe a particular type of theft. So the Yababanel says here, Chomosh, Shazocha, Shachomos, Ahua, Shayas, Nebuchadnezzar, Lamata, Resha, Lo Yia, Mehem, Velo Mehamonam, Velo Mehamehem, Hahomon, Vachail, Ashayobi, Al Yushalayim, Velo Mehanil, Vimalayim, Shaboba, Ezrosa. And the he says the Posik is talking about the perpetrators of the robbery and the violence against Yehuda and Yerushalayim, perpetrated by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and they will suffer retribution eventually in three three ways, which the Torah, the Posik actually describes. Mayhem, who are Mayhem? The, the Posik says uh, Mayhem. Uh, the massive Babylonian army that destroyed Yehuda and Yerushalayim will eventually be similarly defeated uh, with again, with robbery and violence. And it will also take place on their own land. Exactly what they're doing to the Jewish people by destroying Yerushalayim and robbing everything they can get their hands on, it, it may have. What, what they dished out will eventually be dished out to them because they will be invaded by the Persians and the Persians will rape and pillage their land as well. Then the Posit says, Mehamona, the population of B- Babylonia. The civilian, the civilian population of Babylonia will also suffer the same fate as the Jews when the Babylonian Empire falls. They will also go into exile. Um, they will be sent into exile by the Persians. And Meham Meham, which is the last thing that Yechezkel says here, is the fate suffered by the Babylonians will, will also be felt by those mercenaries that join them gleefully in helping Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Yerushalayim, which we discussed before. The Moabites and the Ammonites were only too pleased uh, to join the Babylonian army as mercenaries and uh, come in and, and pillage Yerushalayim. But Alzer Omar, and that's why the Possek says at the end, says the Babanel, below Noah Bahem. What does it mean, below Noah Bahem? God says, despite all your suffering, the Jewish suffering at the hands of Babylonians, don't despair. Um, that it's all lost. Because whatever the Babylonians try, whatever they do, God will never allow his nation to be totally destroyed by the Babylonians or anyone. So this possible, this possible, the Bible now reads this possible, um, it's it's aimed at not the Jewish people. It's aimed at the Babylonians. This is the way you read it. The violence and theft has ridden to a rod of wickedness. That is the Babylonians. None of them. None of that army will remain. Below Mehamona, and none of that civilian population will remain. Below Mehamehem, and nobody that helped them destroy Yerushalayim and burn down the base of Midrash will be uh, saved either. Below Noah Bahem. And uh, whatever they do, uh, it, it won't help that they've tried to wipe out the Jewish people. That is not possible. That's the way um, uh, the Babanel reads it. And uh, I, I gave you the opinion of the Babanel first because uh, after all these verses, uh, which virtually from the start of the book, it's nice to get a, a bit of, you know, good news that uh, the enemy, the Babylonians who are the uh, enemy of the Jewish people, they're eventually going to get their comeuppance as well. But so you should know that the, the Ababinel's opinion here is a minority opinion. Uh, most of the Rishonim, Rashi, and most of the other commentators see this verse being directed at Israel. And this is, this is the rate, this is the way almost every commentator reads this verse. Hechomos kom lamata resha. The violence, the robbery in your hands has risen upon you like a rod of evil to destroy you. And that means that you Jews are the creators of your own destruction through your own robbery, through your own violence, through your own corruption um, among each other, uh, corrupt leadership, corrupt uh, judicial system, 
uh, where robbery and violence was a way of life. And as a result, you'll be the victim of someone more powerful than you that will come to your town uh, with the same violence and robbery. And that's going to be Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army. And uh, so that is the headline of the verse. You could have avoided this. Um, what goes around comes around. You behave with uh, robbery and with violence, and uh, it eventually comes around, and the, the 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 stick you create by doing that eventually comes around and hits you on the head. And now, according to most authorities, what happens now, that's the headline of the verse. And now God is not speaking to us. Uh, God is speaking to the angel. When he says, Lo mehem, velo mehemonem, velo mehemehem, velo noabahem. He's not, that, that's just in parentheses. God's not speaking to us directly about that. Yechezkel is reporting what the God is, uh, ordering, um, what God is ordering the angel of destruction, the Malche Chabola, the angels of destruction that are going to come to Yushalayim. Lo mayhem, this is what they've got to make sure happens. But lo mayhem, lo mayhamonem, lo mayhamayhem. God said to the destroyer, this is the Medrash, God said to the destroyer of Yerushalayim, you are not required to spare a soul from the wicked of Israel. No good will come from them, from their children, lo mayhem, no good will come from them, lo mayhamonem, no good will come from their children, or from that crowd of people, uh, or anyone they're associated. The Medrus says, take their lives, their money, take everything from them. That's what it means. That, uh, nothing good will come from them or their money or their children or their children's money or all the people they associated with or all the money that's associated with the people that they're involved with. Just wipe them all out and rob them all. Take everything they've got. The last words of the verse. Because no one among them longs. No one among them longs or gives a thought to me. God. God's the last thing on their mind. They're not interested in God. And the language of Noah, which is a very strange word, nun hey. So Rashi um, in Shmuel, Rashi points to a postage in Shmuel here in chapter 7 of Shmuel. It says, the postage says, all of Israel longed for God. That's, uh, that was a long time ago. Um, Shmuel, Shmuel Anobi lived in uh, the 900s BC. So that's like uh, 500 years ago. Um, that was the last time, really. That was the last time that all the Jewish people longed for God. Um, so this word Noah, says Rashi, and uh, all the other commentators agree, it's an expression of desire or longing for God, uh, which is something that's completely lacking at the end of the first base of Migdish period. What's very strange about the right up to the end of the first base of Migdish period, um, there seems to be, you know, we have this expression in, in English, uh, there are no atheists in the foxhole, right? You, 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 anyone's read poetry from the First World War, um, which I would recommend everyone and anyone to do. Some of the poetry written by some of the British soldiers who were stuck in the um, trenches in the First World War. So, you know, they went there and uh, they got conscripted in 1914 and they were told that uh, they'll be home for Christmas, right? And uh, guess what? They they, uh, they fell like flies over a hundred yards of territory. Oh, Harry, they, they were right. They were home for Christmas in 1918. Yeah, 1918. Those, a million of them were home for Christmas in, uh, in boxes. Um, and, uh, so there's the, the, there's two or three books that I've read, poetry written by British soldiers that were stuck in the, uh, in the trenches in the First World War. And the overall impression, apart from the suffering that they had to endure and the, and the, the, um, the contagion and the lack of a the lack of any type of um, 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 I don't know what the word is. Just yeah, any general health facilities. General health facilities and the lack of humanity 
that was going on during that uh, during that period. So you read some of these poems, and there you got tears in your eyes uh, because you got people there that uh, you know. I read one particular poem from a guy from the um, the Welsh Guards who writes that he was a, a an atheist, and um, and uh, he says, but he every night he prays to God. What does he pray to God for? He prays to God that tomorrow he'll get killed and because uh, he just can't deal with it anymore. Uh, we didn't have post-traumatic stress disorder in the First World War, but uh, uh, it, it wiped out a whole generation, maybe not wiped out a whole generation physically, but it certainly wiped out a whole generation of men mentally. And uh, it's amazing how many people, if you read these, these poems, it's amazing how many people uh, talk about God. You know, God, God, God. And the, the, as the expression goes, there's no atheists in the foxhole, right? So, um, but it, that doesn't seem to have been part of the Jewish, uh, uh, the people of Yushalayim. You'd think that right at the end, they'd be, you know, running to the shores to Daven to escape. Uh, you know, even even if they didn't believe, they'd be clutching at straws, right? You'll clutch at straws if you're drowning in the river. Um but that, that doesn't seem to be uh, any, there doesn't seem to be any evidence of that with these people. Um, anyway, and that's what he's saying here. Uh, they, they didn't, even, even in extremists, they, they preferred not to uh, acknowledge God. They preferred not to appeal to God. They, they, like they just, uh, you know, God wasn't even on the agenda. Um, which is, you know, I, I just find that uh, incredible. Uh, after, you know, after the, the tradition that the Apostlech says, they know basis, called basis, they come from a nation, they come from ancestors, where it says that all of Israel longed for God. They were all devoted to God at the time of Shmuel Hanavi. Admittedly, it was 500 years, 450 years earlier, but uh, nevertheless. Anyway, that's just a side issue. What's interesting about this verse is this. Um, we know that the primary reason why the first temple was destroyed was because of the violations of the three cardinal sins, which is the Vodazora, uh, paganism, Gilead Royas, uh, immoral sexual practices. Um, and again, it's, it's important to emphasize, you know, it wasn't just, you know, um, wife swapping and stuff like that. What was going on in Yushalayim was, uh, right at the very, uh, in the very darkest dungeons of hell, uh, incest, pedophilia, everything. There was no holds barred. And Shvichas Domin followed murder, uh, aggravated murder. Um, people, I mean, it, uh, it remind, it reminds me of, you know, you read, you, I read a lot of books about South Africa and you read about the, the violence that goes on in the townships and, uh, and all the things that go on. And that's what it was like. It was like Frontierland. It was like Las Vegas in the early years. That's what it was like. So those, that's the, we, we understand the destruction of the base of Migdosh was based on these three uh, cardinal sins, which are capital offenses, paganism, immoral sexual practices, and obviously murder. Uh, they were rampant in Yerushalayim and Yehuda. Um, uh, it was, and I'll stress it was rampant among a particular section of the of society. It wasn't rampant. There were, there were religious people there, um, um, and uh, it means that there was enough of it going around that God decided there was too much of it present to be tolerated any further. And that, as such, the Chorban, the destruction of the base of Midrash, was decreed. But what we see in this verse is something else. Uh, certainly coming according to all the commentators apart from the Vavanel, is that there's a new complaint here, a new sin that was also a catalyst for the destruction. And that's the sin of homos, robbery or violence. Um, what seems strange is that you know, we, we know, you know, the word homos, so we know who Hamas are. Uh, and they, they really do fit the bill, right? Um, if you wanted to know the definition of Hamas, so you just uh, look at the uh, behavior of the people of Hamas. So they are uh, they are what they are what they their name describes. Um, but what seems strange is that Hamas uh, really pales, 
seems to pale into insignificance when compared to the three other cardinal sins, like, you know, uh, paganism, which is like top of the pyramid, denial of God, uh, Gilea Royas, which is all these revolting sexual practices, and murder. So you'd think that, you know, robbery, and with a little bit of violence thrown in, you know, whacking a geezer over the head in the street and robbing his wallet, that should really pale into insignificance in comparison to the three cardinal sins. Um, but I think I think the point here is this, what we see from world history, um, not just Jewish history, but from world history, is that God will tolerate almost anything. Now, he'll even tolerate limited amounts of uh, paganism, which he did for hundreds of years. He'll even tolerate uh, Gileareus, Um He'll even tolerate immoral sexual practices, which he did for hundreds of years. And he'll even, he'll, he'll even tolerate, to a certain extent, uh, a society where uh, murder is not unknown. But what, uh, when, it, when, when push comes to shove, what God will never tolerate is the breakdown of society and the breakdown of society caused by Homos. And uh, if you want an example of that, uh, the... Uh, one of the first stories in the Torah gives you a clue to that. That uh, we see in the Torah, the story of the flood. Um, we know that at the time of the th- flood, all of the cardinal sins, paganism, uh, immoral sexual practices and murder were rampant as well, even more so than Yerushalayim. Yet when God tells Noah uh, why he's going to destroy the world, he doesn't give the reason. He doesn't say, I'm going to destroy the world because they're all pagans and they've uh, deserted God. He doesn't say, I'm going to destroy the world because, you know, there's a, um, they have um, wife swapping clubs. And he doesn't, he doesn't say he's going to destroy the world because, you know, there are gangs going around killing people. No, doesn't mention it. This is in Barathees, chapter 6. And God said to Noah, Kate's Kol Bosso. The end of all flesh, Bolafonai, has come before me. You know the reason? Because the earth has become full of robbery, full of violent robbery. And because of that, I'm going to destroy the earth. So it's very interesting that uh, although, you know, our general opinion is that uh, the temple was destroyed for those three cardinal sins, the actual catalyst at the end why then, why that moment in time was because robbery was rampant and um, this homos. So <clears throat> the, um, it's very interesting that, uh, you know, God, so to speak, is uh, he's very tolerant, but there's certain things that he's not tolerant of at all. And um, one of them is theft. It does not like, it's quite obvious that God does not like theft. Um, and a particular type of theft, as we're going to see in a second, and uh, you just will not tolerate it. And he dishes out he dishes out punishment for theft very quickly, and uh, without mitigating circumstances, doesn't accept mitigation. And uh, as we'll see, there's a Gemara in Sanhedrin right at the end of Sanhedrin on Daf Kuches Omad Aleph that comments on the fate of the generation of the flood. The Gemara says in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Bore, come and see how great the kocho shel homos, the power of robbery. The Gemara says the generation of the flood violated every law uh, that God had given to mankind. Now, God had given to mankind, even even though we say the seven Noahide laws, um, the actual seven Noahide laws were given to Adam, Adam Orisha, and there's Pesukim to support it that the uh, descendants of Adam, all those generations going through to the time of Noah, knew about the um, the uh, Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noah, the seven Noahide laws, um, and don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, establish courts, Eva Menachai, very, the seven cardinal sins. Um, so they were, they were, they committed all, all seven of them. And, uh, but the Gemara says, uh, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, it's interesting to see that we're only destroyed once they get engaged in chomos, in robbery. As I said, the possible before, the Gemara quotes the possible, the world is full of this type of robbery. And therefore, I'm going to destroy the earth. 
Um, and similarly, uh, the Gemara points out, our posse, robbery has ridden into a, has risen into a rod of wickedness. Nothing good, good comes from these people, nor from their community, nor from their offspring, nor shall there be any, the Gemara uses a different uh, definition of the word Noah. He's, he, below Noah, no one should weep for them. In other words, people that commit robbery, low Noah, no one should weep. When, when God takes retribution on them, low Noah, no one should weep for it, for them. And uh, that's the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. And Rabbi Loza says, um, this, the, this teaches us that the angel who watches over robbery in the world. So you have angels that have got particular jobs uh, in the inner circle uh, of God's, so to speak, government offices upstairs, God's administration. you got the ministry of robbery, the ministry of, of, of adult affairs, the ministry of, uh, of Odazara, that, that, that you've got um, angels that, uh, you know, racking up the uh, violations. So in the ministry that deals with robbery, so the Gemara says that the angel who watches over robbery in the world straightened itself like a rod and stood before God. That's what it means. Hechomos kom. The, just not the violence stood up. Hechomos kom lamate resha. It was the angel. The angel that, uh, you know, oversees the world and uh, looks out for what all the theft that's going on. The world stood up like a rod because of the volume of theft that was going on in Yerushalayim. Um, and he said, the Gemara says, that non, he, sa- he says to God, uh, this is the angel speaking to God, lo mehem, lo mehem lo mehem He says that uh, all these people, I've been observing this God, all these people, none of them, none of their offspring, none of the people they associate are fit to exist. Lo noabahem. And when they're gone, no one should weep for them. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's uh, an interesting, uh, uh, the Ramchal, uh, I'll just, just mention this, the Ramchal um, uh, actually writes uh, in various places um, that if you could, if you could um, boil down the Torah, Interesting uh, statement from the uh, Ramchal Ramashram Zatzata. Um, he points this out in the in the Masili Shisharim first, but he mentions it in other places as well, and also in Kabbalistic works. He says, if you boil down the Torah um, to one word or one expression, it's do not steal. Do not steal. The whole Torah in one in one commandment is do not steal, and he explains what it means. God has created an environment here. God has created an environment here, a physical world, a physical universe, a physical earth. And he's provided, if you look at the first chapter of Horatius, God's provided everything that a human being can need here. But there are rules, just like there are rules when you want to borrow something that belongs to somebody else. He says, you know, you want to borrow this, but, uh, you know, you want to borrow the hammer, but don't use it to knock in, you know, those very, very heavy nails because it will damage the hammer so if you uh if you if you use it in the way that's uh if you borrow a hammer and you use it in the way that uh, the owner wants you to use it so it's okay but if you don't so you're a gunner you're a, you're a thief because you're using something that belongs to somebody else in a way that he doesn't want you to use it and consequently if you look at the world if you look at the universe and uh this really boils this really goes very deep into the philosophy of judaism if you if you, if if you look at the physical universe and all the gifts that God's provided for human beings, uh, the overriding message is um, you can use everything I've provided for you as long as you follow the rules. And God says, you know, you can eat anything you like. I just don't. I don't want you to eat pig. Why? Why can't you eat pig? So everyone comes up with a reason. You know, the conservatives and the reform come up with a reason because it's dirty and you can get trichinosa and all sorts of nonsense. And we say it's because, you know, uh, we don't know the reason. God just says, don't eat it. Uh, says around hell, what God is saying when he says, don't eat pig and don't eat, uh, 
animals that have got that it was last week's parish, right? Don't don't eat animals that haven't got cloven hooves and chew the cud. What God is actually saying is these pigs belong to me. They're my pigs. I don't want you to eat them. They belong to me. I'm not giving you permission to eat them. And if you eat them, you're a ganav. You're a thief. You're a Baal Chomas. You're a thief. I. He gives us wool from a, a, a sheep. And he gives us linen. And from pishtam, from flax. He says you can use as wool, as much wool as you like. You can use as much linen as you like. I just don't want you combining them. I just don't want you to sew them together. What happens if you do? So you're disobeying the owner. They're my, it's God's wool. It's God's linen. God says you can use it, but I don't want you to use them together. And if you do use them together, you're a thief. You're using something that belongs to somebody else for a purpose that they didn't give you permission to do. Says the whole of the Torah, you take every law of the Torah, you can boil every law, every negative commandment, certainly every negative commandment, also the positive commandments as well, but they're a little bit more difficult to rationalize. But certainly it's very easy to rationalize all the negative commandments in the Torah. They all boil down to gazela. God has provided you with A, B, and C, and you're allowed to use A, B, and C to your heart's content as long as you follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules of use, then you're a thief. And so... That is a rational approach to why God takes a very, very dim view of theft. Because in essence, that is what the Torah is. Because by stealing, you're not, stealing is not just stealing from another person. It's actually stealing from God. You're, you're taking something that belongs not only to another person, but you're misusing that something that actually belongs to God as well. So that is, I'm not going to go any deeper into that because uh, now is not the time or the place. Uh, you can reflect on that, uh, this idea that the Torah can actually be boiled down to the uh, concept of uh, of theft. Uh, do not steal. Uh, and that's why God is so harsh on on the idea of theft, um, because uh, every mitzvah is directly related to getting using the right permissions, getting the correct authority to use what God has provided for you in the correct manner. And if you don't do that, you're stealing. You're stealing from God. Okay, now what's interesting, I want to finish off with this, um, uh, this, this idea of chomos here being very important, a uh, very important concept. Um, the normal words for robbery in Hebrew are geneva. Uh, geneva is surreptitious theft. Again, if it's somebody that does something on the, on the quiet, right, sneaks into your house at night and, uh, he's a ganef, right? He, he doesn't want to be, uh, uh, seen or heard, and he just wants to be in and out, take what you've got and be gone. Uh, that's one type of theft. The other type of theft we see in the Torah is gezel, low sigzol. So you have low signal and low, low sigzol. Gezel is a different type of theft. It's brazen theft. Where somebody here, he isn't bothered about anything, he just comes up to you in the street. Anyone that's been to New York, I've suffered this on a couple of occasions in New York. Um, in a uh, underground station, in a subway station, guy comes up to you and says, give me your money, right? There's people around there, he doesn't care, right? Guy pulled a gun on me, he says, give me, in, in, a, in, a, in, in a subway station in New York, pulled a gun on me, he says, give me your money. So what are you going to do? So that's a gasling, right? So he doesn't care who's watching. He doesn't care who's watching, he doesn't care who sees, he doesn't care if God's watching, he doesn't care if human beings are watching, he just doesn't care. Again, if on the other hand, he doesn't care what God that God's watching. He cares about human beings watching. So, and in in that respect, he's a little he, he's he's uh, a very a little bit worse. But in any case, those are the two types of theft uh, that we generally think about that uh, in the Torah. Uh, so the question is, what distinguishes Chomos? Again, we've just described Chomos as really the catalyst. Uh, the question would be asked, why now? Right? Why is God rushing it along? So we know that God's rushing it along, but why two years? Um, God could have rushed it along and, you know, brought the destruction of the base of Migdosh a month earlier or six months earlier or a year earlier. Why two years? And the answer is from this possible. It's because of the chomos, the chomos, the theft that was going on in Yerushalayim got to the point where God said, I'm not tolerating this anymore, like he did with the, with the flood. Um, 
And the world was full of Chomas. Yushalayim. Molei Chomas. Yushalayim was full of Chomas. And that's why God's destroying it earlier, this much earlier. Um, so the question is, what distinguishes Chomos, this word Chomos, which also means theft, from Geneva and Geza, uh, which we said Geneva is uh, surreptitious uh, theft and Geza is brazen theft. What is Chomos? So in order to understand it, the Benio Yoda gives us an insight into the difference. Um, and I'll read to you the Ben Yo Yod and then I'll stop and I'll explain to you, uh, please God, next week, uh, what, why Chomos, why this particular type of theft God despises so much. Um, at least, you know, with a Ganef. So a Ganef understands um, that he could get caught. And um, thieves understand, professional thieves, professional robbers, bank robbers, burglars, uh, brazen thieves, street thieves, they, they, they're, they're professionals and uh, they've got an unwritten, unwritten code in the, in the sense that they understand that they could get caught and they could be imprisoned, but that's an occupational hazard. They balance the risk to the opportunity and they either choose to take the, uh, the risk knowing full well that there's a, you know, there'll be a consequence if they get caught. Homus is something that's completely different. Uh, the Ben Yoda says as follows, and I said, I'll read to you the Ben Yoda, and then next week, please God, I'll explain to you, number one, why uh, Homos is so different from the other two, uh, from Geneva and Gezela, and number two, why God takes a particular dim view of this type of theft. So the Ben Yoda, who's, who's writing on this Gemara um, in Sanhedrin, on Dav Kuches, writes the following. He says, Nira Gezel Shava Pruta. You steal Gezel, Gezel and Geneva um, to to be to transgress the biblical prohibition of Gezel or Geneva, the regular types of theft, either surreptitious theft or brazen theft, in order for it to be a, an Isidir Isa, a biblical prohibition, uh, biblical transgression, what you steal has to be worth a shava pruta, has to be worth a pruta. So they say it has to be worth a shekel. Anything less than a shekel, it's not considered to be theft. So Abel Chomos. But Chomos, pochos mishava pruta. Chomos is stealing things that are worth less than a pruta, worth less than a shekel. Ach kivn shehoyimas midim belchomos, bechoza, bechomos. Kama pa'onim b'shar achas. What was going on in Yerushalayim um, was that they were uh, stealing things that have had very little value. That they were stealing them, that they spent the day stealing things of very little value. And I'll explain to this all to you next week. But uh, And what they were doing was avoiding the biblical prohibition of theft by stealing a little bit, a little bit at a time. They'd, they'd go in and they'd steal something. Well, I'll give you the example next week because we haven't got time now. Um, but he says, there were gangs of people going around stealing little bits of things that weren't worth very much. But now it's a godel. And then they'd get together and combine what they had and sell it. Um, so I'll give you the example. We haven't got time to go through the example. Uh, what the Ben Yoda is saying here, but again, he, he he's saying that there's a, there was an Chomos is an attempt to avoid God's, so to speak, like a uh, a um, a uh, slippery way of avoiding uh, God's law, so to speak. And again, I'll describe. I'll I'll go through this again. We haven't got time now. Um, um, I'll explain to you exactly what the Ben Yoda means and why. A chomos, why this concept of chomos is so much more grave in God's eyes than regular Geneva and regular Gezel, and why it is and was uh, the catalyst. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, the camel's back was going to break anyway. The camel's back was going to break because of, of, of paganism and because of sexual immorality and because of um, uh, murder that was going on in Yerushalayim. But uh, <clears throat> The reason why 
it happened suddenly, like the dawn, the dawn, the dawn passed very quickly. Like you, it went from the verdict to the execution uh, was very, very quick. And uh, the major reason is, is this word homos. So we have to understand what that is and why it irks God so much um, when people act with homos. So that's for ne- that's all for next week. Um, we'll continue in this posse. It's uh, what verse is it? What verse are we on? It's verse eleven. Verse eleven. We'll complete this next week, and it's a bit of an eye opener what the Benio Yoda is saying here about um, uh, the behaviour of the Jewish people inside Jerusalem uh, towards the end of the first temple period before the Babylonians got there, obviously. Um, okay, so we've reached the point of no return. Um, today, if anybody's got any shilas, any questions, um, now's the time. Uh, if not, uh, we can say bye bye and uh, see you next week. And uh, same time, same place. Sure, Harry. See you later. You won't see me later. No, no, you no sh- we got oh, family, you family. Yeah, yeah, people around. Yeah, I wish I was giving shit. We got family for dinner, unfortunately. Ooh. Sometimes you got to have the family around for dinner. Not from uh, overseas. No, not from overseas. They're all right. The family from overseas are all right. The other mob, though, no good, right? <laughs> all right, I see. The you other, more. the other mother always after money, right? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Bye, everyone. Have a great week. I hope you enjoyed the shear. Call to everybody, and I'll see you next week, same time, same place. The rest of you, I'll see you tomorrow morning. Call to Thank you very much. Thank you. Call to Call to